Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. I hope you guys have had a great week so far. Uh, and today I am joined with Erin Coker. Um, she is a a lot of things, and I'll ever strive everything that she does, but she does have a website that I like you to kind of put notice. This is where she writes a lot of her articles and her thoughts, and they're very thought-provoking. It is called simpleextravagance.org, simpleextravagance.org. So you can check her out there. And Erin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. So for those of um, people who may not know who you are, can you give us like a quick blurb of who you are, what you do, and and anything you'd like to share? Okay. I am Erin, as you all have been introduced, and I've been a stay-at-home mom now for eight and a half years. I never thought I'd be a stay-at-home mom. Never, ever. My mom worked, and that's what was modeled to me. And then I, I was working in human resources. One day I heard God speak to my heart and say, she's going to be a stay at home mom. And so that was shocking for me. <laughs> but <laughs> a few months later I was pregnant with twins. And so it was just cool how God kind of gave me a heads up without really showing me the whole picture in that moment. Um, but now all my kids, I have three kids twin girls and a son and they're all in school. I have recently felt the call to step back into ministry. Scott and I actually used to be in ministry together at Camp Mm -hmm. Marengo. And, um, I feel like God is asking me to speak and to write, hence my blog. (laughs) And so that's what I'm trying to do. Awesome, Aaron. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's fascinating. You know, I think when anytime when people talk about their calling into ministry or what they want to do, very rarely do I hear people say, you know, I feel called or I feel like God is calling me to be a stay at home mom, especially like you said, it was modeled. Your mom worked. So you go to school, you get your degree and I believe mm-hmm. business management. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you're like doing HR now. It's like, oh, by the way, you're now going to stay at home and kind of take care of your kids. So um, and you talked about how that was challenging for you, which I I bet. So um, so kind of walk through the process of kind of I'm, I'm, I'm more fascinated about that. So I can walk through the process about not only the calling and kind of maybe your own feelings of like, you know, how. OK, Lord, like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, I always said I would go back to work full time, uh, once all my kids were back in school. And so I just thought what that meant would be stepping back into business. Um, like I said, when I first graduated, we were working at Camp Marengo together and we were trying to get a full year round program going with, um, outdoor education. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. And I loved working with students and I loved sharing the love of Jesus, whether we were speaking about it or just showing him through our actions. So then when I stepped in to work at human resources, I realized I loved working in that field. Um, So then 
being called to stay at home was very, very shocking. And I was actually walking to my car and from a day at work. And it's like, God just stopped me in my tracks. I was Mm. walking and I stopped and I heard him speak to my heart and just say, you will be a stay at home mom. And I was just so floored by that because I never thought that would be And so then when I found out I was pregnant with twins, it was a very hard pregnancy. I mean, pregnancy is hard with one baby. So then you add two in there and at, I had a lot of complications at 25 weeks pregnant, I was put on bed rest. Mm. And so I had to stop working then. So that's the last time I worked full time. And then at 31 weeks and two days, my blood pressure just skyrocketed and I had preeclampsia they ended up having to, um, do an emergency C-section and my girls lived in the NICU for six weeks. And so we were living out of the Ronald McDonald house. Uh, and then after we were able to bring them home, it just was such a huge culture shock from going to working full-time and working with adults to being at home with babies and we, I'd worked with kids before, but never babies, especially tiny NICU babies. And so yeah. it was, it was challenging because I I'm a people person. And so my husband would go to work all day and I would be home. We were living in a basement apartment. So it was kind of dark. It was kind of cold and you're alone and you're talking to babies all day. So there's just this longing. So my husband would walk through the door and I would just basically just start talking a hundred miles an hour and, and needing everything from him. Mm. And he's like, I just can't give you all of that because like you need other relationships. So it just was a really hard switch. And I didn't realize that I was going through a depression in Mm. that moment. I, I just didn't know. And they talk about postpartum, I mean, you hear about it a little bit, but no one actually sat down and said, this is what postpartum looks like. And, and I think you might be going through it. And the thing with NICU babies is you have to be very careful with who you take them around mm-hmm. and because they could get sick. And yeah. when they're sick, it's a whole new level. And so it was RSV season, which is just for anybody who's not a parent, RSV and a little child is a really bad cough. It can cause trouble breathing. And so you just don't want to deal with that. And so they told me from the time that we brought them home from the hospital, which was in November until April, they were supposed to stay home. So mm-hmm. Michael was going to work. I mean, somebody had to go to work. Somebody had to make money. <laughs> Yeah. for our family. So he was doing what he needed to do, but he was going to work and he was making friends. We were living in a new state. He was um, building relationships with people at church and I was staying home with Kit, the babies. Yeah. So it was, a, it was just a really big transition for us. And um, so really it just prepared me for this pandemic that we're oh, going yeah. through because I'd already been through that. So I thought I'd go back to work in 2020 (laughs) and then COVID hits and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, in my head, I'd planned I'd go back to work and here we are, COVID, everything's shut down. 
we're in virtual learning, which is also just a culture shock for all of us as parents. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I mean, how do you transition and stay home and teach your kids and like your house is their safe place and yes, they're learning, but they're not learning. They're not always learning the way that they're learning at school and they're glued to a screen. So that alone was a shift. So my husband and I decided, um, his name's Michael. I'm just going to start saying Michael, but we just decided that I would still stay home with them in that transition because I was already home. He's the main breadwinner. And then, um, then they went back to school this year. (laughs) So that's awesome. So I was able to start working Mm part-time at the, their elementary school as a para, basically I was a substitute, but I was also a para. I was teaching kids how to read And I loved that work, but also in that time I was writing my blog. I was a speaker at my church and that's where my fire comes in. Mm. I love to speak and to write. And when God lays a message on my heart, I want to share it. And so I found this passion and I just felt like God was speaking to my heart again. I want you to speak. I want you to write and go through the ordination process. So I've not begun the ordination process because we just moved to Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I actually sent my letter of intent to West, the West Virginia board, mm. and we were going to start walking through that. But in that time, my husband and I felt also God's calling to bring us back to Ohio. So we moved, our whole world got tossed up like a tossed salad and we're figuring stuff out again. Um, But the pieces are going to come into place. I'm just waiting for that to fall into place before I take the next steps into ordination. So that's where I'm at right now. That's I'm, I am still home, but I'm writing. I'm waiting for speaking opportunities. We're still trying to get plugged into where we'll be going to church. Hmm. But I'm grateful for being here with you because you're allowing me to share a message that God placed on my heart. So, well, thank Well, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you so much for saying that, Aaron. But man, yeah, your story's just. Wow. Like, I feel like your story, I feel that. Like, I, I feel the uncertainty and the tossed salad, as you will, where things are just flying up and you're just trying to see what's going to stay in the bowl and what's going to fall to the floor and get eaten by the dog. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so you talk. So one of the things and kind of the reason why I brought you on my show is you were talking about your kids mm-hmm. and you're talking about the love languages and Mm -hmm. how that was able to, and if I remember all right, just how it was able for you to kind of help understand your kids better and even Mm -hmm. be able to kind of meet their needs. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as a counselor and as someone who has done marital counseling, sometimes just trying to get spouses to understand their love language or, or even try to understand their core longings or their needs. Sometimes that's tricky because sometimes people don't really know what they want or they do know what they want, but their partner doesn't see it and they go the opposite direction in trying to meet their needs and it doesn't seem to compute. So, so kind of walk me through the steps of kind of 
what inspired you to be able to try this? And what were some of the things that you were able to experience working with your own kids and being able to understand their love language? Yeah. Well, I think as a parent, our kids and our spouses are some of our greatest treasures. And we want so badly to love them because we know that love is the greatest gift we can give. And I think we, as parents or spouses, we think that we're loving them to the best of our ability, or we're loving them the way that they want or need to be loved. And I was inspired one day. I have loved this day spring magazine called everyday faith. And my mom went and found me all of 2021's magazines. So this was the spring edition and Gary Chapman, who is the one who is also a counselor Mm -hmm. and he studied the five love languages. He believes that there's five love languages. There are words of affirmation, gifts, like actually giving gifts to someone acts of service. So maybe doing the dishes for someone or opening their car door, um, those kinds of things doing the laundry. And then you have quality time, the gift of I'm going to go and take a walk with you, or we're going to go ride scooters down the street. And then there's physical touch, a hug. I'm going to play with your hair. I'm going to rub your back, like those kinds of things. And he talks about how everyone speaks all five of these languages, Hmm. but we all lean more towards one. And so, for example, I love quality time. Mm -hmm. So I might think all three of my kids, they just want quality time with me. And so I'm like, I'm going to take you to the park or I'm going to, um, we're going to go on a car ride. Let's go ride scooters. But if they're the way that they receive love is not quality time, then their bucket isn't being filled all the way. So I Mm. loved this article in his magazine because he does talk about um, figuring out everyone's love language that you're trying to love. So your spouse, maybe your parents, your friends and your kids. He said, um, we all can self-diagnose our own love languages, but we have to learn about our spouses or the people that are involved in our life. And I think he's so true because we want to love them. Like I said, they're our Mm -hmm. greatest treasures, but if we don't know what their language is and we're not speaking their language, they might not hear that we love them. Mm -hmm. So he points us to where we can take a quiz to find out what our love language is. So if you want to go to five, like the actual number five, lovelanguages.com. You can take his quiz there to figure out what your specific love language is. And I would encourage you to send your friends and your spouses to go there. It was fantastic, but they don't have a quiz for small children because Mm. though you could ask them the questions and lead them, you might be leading them to what you think you want them to answer. Like they can't really formulate what, what it is they're really trying to say. So he suggests that you just get a blank piece of paper and you ask your child, can you draw me a picture and show me 
how your parents show you love. Mm. How, how do you get shown love? And so I was like, oh, that sounds like a really cool activity. Now, if they can't draw, you could ask, ask them to show you, but pretty much once a child turns two and they can hold a crayon, they can draw something. So anyways, I brought my pictures. Um, I'll describe them, but Ellie drew me and her and she was hugging me. Mm. And so I was able to infer that her love language is physical touch. That's her pride. Like that's how she sees me giving her love. So if you ask them to draw what they draw is going to be their primary love language. Cause that's what sticks out to them in their mind. And that's what they're putting on paper. So what's interesting is I said, I have twin daughters. They're identical, but just because you have identical twins does not mean that they're the same. Mm. They have their own personalities. They have their own languages. So Riley, she drew the picture of a castle and she said that she loves it when we go places together. So what does that mean? That means her love language is quality time. Mm -hmm. She loves to be shown quality time. And then Hudson drew a picture of me, of him kissing his parents. So his is physical touch. And I'll tell you what, I saw this play out around our dinner table last night. So Mm. yesterday was Valentine's day and we went around the table and we just asked all of our kids, we're going to go around and we're going to say what we all love about each other. Each person, everybody's going to have a chance to do that. And when it got to Hudson, he went around to each of us and he touched each of us as he told us what he loved about us. Mm. And so I saw his love language played out. His love language is physical touch. And so it's interesting when you have them draw that on paper, it really does. You begin to see it and it'll translate through their everyday life. What they put on the paper, you're going to see, oh, he likes to receive physical touch. And I would say the way he speaks love is through physical touch. Hmm. So the other side to the coin is you can have them draw. How do you receive love from your parents? How do you give love? So I actually did that activity with Riley. My other two are just busy. They love to play. Their imaginations are so strong, but I was able to capture Riley for a moment. (laughs) And I asked her, Riley, how do you give love? And because it can be different the way that you receive love could be different than how you give love. And so she, and she's the one who drew the castle. She drew a picture of helping someone stand back up. Mm. And so the way that she shows love is through acts of service. So as a, as a parent, what should I do? If I want to teach my child how to love, I need to put her in opportunities where she's going to get the opportunity to serve. Because that's how she shows love. So I want to build her up to where she can continue to love in her love language. And that's going to be through when the church has the opportunity to pack meals for people in other countries with the nice foundation or Mm -hmm. 
something else. I need to make sure that we're signed up for that as a family because her bucket's going to be filled. So I still need to do that with the other two, but that's just where we're at right now. And, and, and you bring up something very fascinating, Aaron, because, you know, you start off by, you know, having them draw pictures, which for me, I think with kids, especially as a counselor, sometimes music, art, creativity, play therapy, those are the type of things that I think kids respond well to Mm -hmm. really communicate what they're feeling if they don't know how to really communicate clearly what they need or what they want. So that's kind of a, and it's also a way to kind of lower the guard down so that way they can kind of be as transparent as possible through their creativity. So I thought that was fascinating. The other thing I thought was fascinating is how so many times when we think about love languages and kids, it's like, okay, well, you know, what does mommy and daddy do that shows you love? So you see quality time, physical touch, those type of things like, great, but not many people do that other side. You know, what's something that you do? Mm -hmm that kind of fills up your, you know, that kind of fills you up. And, you know, just the great story with, um, with Riley, just doing acts of service. So it's like, okay, you know, her, the way she experiences love from us is when we go and take trips and do something fun, but the way she can communicate love to others is by simply helping people out or, you know, packing lunches or picking people up with, fallen down or tripped and just making sure they're okay. You know, those type of things, which you would always think, I think a lot of times we, as parents, we see one thing and we go, okay, this is it. And we stay right there. But then mm-hmm. you can find out that, you know, maybe she likes traveling and doing stuff, but for her to show love, it's not like, Hey, and plus a kid, I mean, she's not yeah. saying, okay, mom, let's go to, let's go to this magical world that I created out of cardboard boxes. And I'm, that's, what I'm going to show you love her. It's like, no, I want to, help even if it's just i mean i don't know is she let me ask a question does she like to do chores does she help you out with chores or is it more just helping other people outside the family yeah so it depends on the day i mean she still (laughs) is an (laughs) eight-year-old we were having a super bowl party at our house and the day before they're all like we're gonna help you get ready for the party mom and she was all gung-ho too but then when we said it was time to clean up the playroom she was like not having it but that also wasn't on her terms she you know they were trying to say what chores they wanted to do so Um, I don't know if that was more of a, we were giving it and she wasn't saying what chore she wanted to do Mm -hmm. in that moment. So there may be something there because she did want to help. She did want to help. But when we gave the direction, it was like, all right, we're going to give you a chance to go to your room and cool down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's fascinating, you know, on, on, on their terms. And I think that's something that I think as parents, we have to really know that as our kids get older, you know, they have their own determination of what they want to do. Like, I mean, <laughs> even like with my son, he sometimes he wants to help me unload the dishes, which, hey, it's great. But sometimes he just wants to do dishes and he doesn't want to clean his room. It's like, dude 
you need to clean up your room. Like, so, you know, it's like that, that's, that's more important than you taking out the silverware and putting it away. I appreciate it. I love it. But this is really what needs to get done because your room's a mess and I can't even get in there to say goodnight to you guys without stepping on 15 Legos on the way there. So. Yeah. Which is painful. And then good night is not so endearing. It's like, oh, good night. Yeah. <laughs> Go I, to bed. Yeah, it's like, good night. And then you tr- and then you try to walk up so you can see, and then you turn off the light, then they turn the light off. Then you have, like I do, I have to go up to the middle and turn the light off so they can't oh. reach the thing. And then you're walking back in the dark. And then it's like, oh, yeah. oh Lord, give me strength. <laughs> yeah. But I think yeah, so- that that's good, Scott, because it's like, yes, we want to give them opportunities to use their love language and do things on like, there's a time and place for them to do things on their terms. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, as a parent, it's also our job to teach them to obey. And yeah, you're telling me that you want to do something and that's good. What you want to do, like doing the dishes is good. And I would love for you to do that, but it means more after you do what I've asked you to do Mm -hmm. after you've obeyed me. Clean your room first because I'm your parent and that's the direction I gave. And then if you want to go above and beyond and do the dishes, you know, so as parents, it's so hard because, you know, we, we want to please them, our kids and we want them to be happy. So sometimes when we, uh, reprimand them, It it feels painful as a parent and we think, oh, well, I'm making them unhappy now. So am I being a bad parent? But no, we're not being a bad parent. We're being a good parent because we're teaching them to listen and obey so that they can be civilized humans someday. Because if they don't know how to listen and obey and we just have a bunch of adults who are doing what they want to do and they're not listening to their boss, what's going to happen? They're going to get fired. Yeah. They're going to get fired or reprimanded and we want the best for our, our kids. So I think that that was a good example that you gave because yeah. yes, there is a time and a place for them to do things on their terms, but there is a time and a place for them to listen and obey. And yeah, that's you. Yeah, definitely. And I think about, you know, when it comes to discipline, you know, that's always challenging too, because I feel like I almost kind of feel like the way we discipline children is usually based on what we received as disciplined, which sometimes yeah. is not always great. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah. And, and like there's recently, like I know when I've been doing some counseling stuff, there's a couple books that I've received and they're both by the same people, uh, Tina. Oh, I can't think of Tina Bryson and, uh, Daniel Siegel, who's a neurologist, and it's like the whole brain child and no drama discipline. It really talks about, you know, as kids get older and, you know, because I think your brain's not never not fully developed until you're like in your mid 20s. So as a parent, when it comes to not only showing them love and kind of encouraging them on ways that they can show love to others and then and then also when it comes to discipline, just like when they're being rigid or when they're being very um, emotional and stuff, you know, how do you, as they would, as Daniel Siegel would say, how do you get into the river of well-being where you can kind of navigate them so that a you can get them to do what they want to do, but at the same time you're doing it in a way 
that also empowers them and kind of helps them so that when they get older, like you said, like, you know, when they get older, when they do have to deal with stuff like dealing with a boss and the boss tells them about a deadline or something that they're just not like, like whatever, like maybe they're I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm, I'm not going to do the deadline. <laughs> exactly. Or like a professor tells you, here's your assignment. It's do this one. It's like, uh, I don't want to do that. That's boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, or you try to help. Here's and- the direction but like you think you're so wise. So you're going to write something entirely different. Well, you're going to get an F on your paper, even if it's a magnificent paper. Yeah. Even if it's set, like the grammar is perfect. If the professor gives you a topic and you don't write on it, you are going to get an F. You just are. Yeah. And so we have to learn to listen and, I think you said something at the beginning where, when we were talking about how do kids receive love Mm -hmm. and we have our kids draw it on the pic on the paper. And then as parents, we stop there because we're like, Oh, well now we know how to receive the, like, we know how they receive love. So we're just done with that. And you said a lot of times as parents, we just stop there and we don't take it to the next level. And then later on, we were talking about discipline and you said a lot of us will discipline our children based on how we were then disciplined. So we then transfer the discipline we had to our children now, and we just stop there and we forget as parents that we're still learning that we should, at least we should still be learning and we should still be growing and that we shouldn't just stop. Mm-hmm. where our parents stopped. We have the yeah. opportunity to take it to the next level and mm-hmm. to learn and grow. You know, and we're talking about these, these love languages. And it just makes me wonder, you know, for those children who have the love language of physical touch, and I'm not a counselor. Okay. Yeah. This is just me wondering as a parent Yeah. for those parents who have children that have the love languages, love language of physical touch. And that language has then been abused. Mm. What does that do to a child? Oh yeah. I I, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's good stuff, Aaron, because it's, I mean, it's like, think about, I mean, I think about it this way. Like one time my son, we were over at my parents' house and he was talking to my mom. And he was talking about, cause you know, there's always been times where we would discipline our kids and we talk, I said, Hey, you know, when daddy did something like what you're doing, you know, mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got the belt on the butt. Like it was, <laughs> I got spanked and it was not fun. Um, and I would tell him that. So one time he told my mom about it. He goes, Oh, Hey, you know, saying something like that. And my mom just politely just basically said you know when your dad and your aunt were little there are certain things on how to discipline that we didn't know about and it seemed like probably in the really in the 90s that's when we started to see a huge boom of hey here's a better way of doing parenting here's a not necessarily doing parenting but here's a better way of doing discipline and here's Mm -hmm. the things like you know with the love languages with um books like um, his needs, her needs with books like um, the whole brain child, you know, there are certain ways where it's like, Hey, 
here are some ways that you can still get the results you want, but do it in healthier ways than doing, than like doing like a physical punishment. Um, even like there was a thing where there was a thing that my wife saw where it was like, instead of doing timeouts, which kind of separates people and put them in the room or put them in a the corner. Sometimes if people, if kids are having these huge reactions or these huge emotional reactions, sometimes it's better to do a time in, which is basically hugging and embracing them and just kind of holding them and just speaking softly to them to calm them down, which, you know, even that is kind of like different than, you know, what me and my sister experienced. And yet we were able to do that with my son. And that seemed to work very well instead of just sending him to his room when he does something just like, Hey, what's going on? Hey, talk to us. And, you know, just that embrace. And I think, you know, when we think about what their kid, what I think when we think about what their kids love languages are, not only use that to show love and to encourage them and kind of fill them up, but even when it comes to discipline, Mm -hmm. that might be something where you can do too, to kind of help them just like, okay, hey, what's going on? And like, especially those with physical touch, that's a great way of doing a time in. Uh, for those who like to travel or like, you know, more of like quality time, you know, it could just be a simple, hey, maybe overwhelmed with the other two in the room. We're just going to go somewhere, go to a playroom, go to the kitchen. Hey, and like have that undivided time to say, hey, mm-hmm. what's going on? Let's talk about mm-hmm. this. Okay. I understand you. I hear you at the same time. I am the, I am the mother. This is what I'm asking you to do. And once you do that, then we can have this great time together. Mm-hmm. I really think that is revolutionary because, and I'm not saying I get this right. I'm still learning as a parent. That's the thing about parenting. <laughs> I'm with you, Aaron. <laughs> we've never done this before. Like, We've never parented before. And all of a sudden we are sent home with children and we're just thinking like, we're literally just figuring it out, but, um, they really do need, like, you should get a doctorate degree after they graduate high school. Like (laughs) the parents should be given a doctorate degree. Like you did it. You graduated parenting, but, um, like, I, I don't know if we have time for this, but just thinking about going through each of these love languages and the way that we discipline, when we discipline, we think I'm going to make them miserable so mm-hmm. that they can feel the weight of the heavy grab, like the heavy gravel gravel. And they can know like what they did was wrong and feel mass amounts of shame. And I just think for children who their love language is words of affirmation. And so then as a parent, well, then I'm going to take away words of affirmation and I'm going to put words of shame and guilt Mm -hmm. on their heads. Um, the damage that that can do, because if their love language is words of affirmation Mm -hmm. and we are instead heaping words of shame on them, discipline is to move someone in a different direction with love. But I think a lot of times as parents or as bosses or anyone in a seat of authority, we think that we're going to discipline to make them feel bad to change the outcome. But if we could do what you were saying, 
and Mm -hmm. instead of causing the distance, bring the embrace for those who have physical touch, Mm -hmm. bring words of affirmation into the discipline. And Mm -hmm. like, I think of children with quality time who have that love language as parents, sometimes we're like, well, then for two weeks, you're not going to youth group. You're not going to church. You're not going to this, 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 you're done with sports for two weeks because you did this. We took away their, like, that's how they see love is in quality time and quality time these days is so few and far between with this generation because Mm -hmm. everything is done on a screen. Yeah. And so then to take that away, that little time of quality time that they have. And again, I don't do this perfectly. I'm just wondering with you right now out loud, what would happen if we then did the quality time with them? to spur them on in love, to then bring the discipline, the outcome of like the change, the outcome we want to see through love and not taking love away. And I also wonder what that would do with our relationship with Jesus, because I know growing up and even now today, if I do something that I know I'm not supposed to do, I feel a distance in my relationship with God. And we hear it all the time with people. Mm-hmm. I can't go to church because I did this. I'll never grace the doors of a church. I'll get struck by lightning. Yeah. But why do we think that? We think that because when I was, and I, again, not a counselor, but when I was a child, when I did something wrong, I was struck with lightning. I was not allowed to go and do those things anymore. I, I wonder if we instead took the approach that you said and did, and did the embrace and used words of affirmation, how that could translate for the love in the church. Would people then realize, oh, when I do something wrong, I'm not struck by lightning, but by God, but I am welcomed into Jesus's arms. And that's actually where I need to be. Yeah. Like when I do something wrong, he actually wants to embrace me. Mm. Yeah. And that's, and that's powerful stuff. And I think that, I think we're onto something. We got to write a book together, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I, I Cause I'm, I'm writing too many papers for my doctorate. So you'll have to take the brunt of this one, but no, you say something fascinating. I go back to Proverbs 22, six, um, you know, train a child in the way they shall go and they will never they will never I'm going to paraphrase they will never like stray from that Mm -hmm. and we always in the church always interpret that as well just read them the bible make sure they're in their bible reading the bible praying reading the bible pray pray I would also say that when you model healthy good parenting and discipline and you're able to a find their love language and not only find their love language, but then use that as a catalyst to do discipline again, not to shame, but to show love, then what we would be doing and kind of the conclusion, what would happen? I think we would have a generation of emotionally healthy kids that eventually become emotionally healthy adults, which then when they have their own kids, they become emotionally healthy parents to be able to raise emotionally healthy kids because i mean 
I mean, I, I go back to, you know, the spirit of the Lord, you know, he doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He doesn't give us a spirit of shame. You know, he gives mm-hmm. us a spirit of life in truth. And mm-hmm. when we think about the question, oh, if I go into a church, they're just going to judge me. Or if I go into a church, lightning's going to strike down. And I think about these sayings on why people are resistant to church or why they may be resistant into certain things like relationships. And this is something that Henry Nowen talked about one of his big things is that, you know, we have the false self and we have the true self where the false self is not only some of the issues and the traumas that we've endured, but even the things that society puts on us, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a successful uh, pastor, then you need to be able to take a church of 20 and grow it to 200. Or if you want to be a successful uh, mom, you got to make sure that you take the kids to school, you clean up the rooms, you clean up the house, you, you, you're baking everything. And then everyone comes home with like very leave it to beaver esque of that fifties, mm-hmm. like um, shows that like view of this is what it means to be the perfect mother. And then when you have those moments where, man, my kids aren't listening to me. Oh, I didn't have time to do the laundry or, Oh, their dishes are overflowing out of the sink. And you can feel like, well, then I must be a bad mom because I couldn't get all this stuff done within a six to eight hour span of time because I was doing all this stuff. I had my own doctor's appointments and everything else. I was doing self-care. And I think when we look at all of that, you know, if we have these moments where, you know, if, if we could go in a time machine and I could teach my parents, hey, you're going to have a little boy Here's his, here's his love language, and here's how you can discipline him well to do things. Mm-hmm. And let's see, and then kind of see the outcome of that. I think from that point of view, you can really say, hey, look how healthy, look how some of the things, some of the like the negative thoughts and the negative self-talk and some of the things that go in my mind where I kind of sell myself short or kind of think, oh, well, I'm no good, how those may no longer be an issue anymore because of this way of parenting and this way of using a love language to do discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is so good. I, I literally have never thought uh, about disciplining in a different way. I mean, I wouldn't say never, but I think through this conversation today, mm-hmm. it has opened my eyes to at least trying something different yeah, and, and trying the embrace and, and, you know, getting away from the spanking, which it's not, it doesn't happen excessively, but it happens occasionally. And, you know, instead trying the hug and the conversation and the, the directing to a different way. And so this conversation has opened my eyes to trying something different with my kids. And And, I'm excited because I think it will change the trajectory of their life. And to be fair, you know, with you talking about the love languages and me talking about discipline, I think this, I mean, I'm now I'm thinking, Oh, do I really know my kids love language? Let me figure it out. And then once I figured that out, let me take what I know about the brain and neurology and the books that I've read to say, okay, 
now when it comes to discipline, here's where I can get them back into that river well-being. Here's where, when, and they use the illustration of a canoe. Sometimes they'll hit one bank or the other. How do I keep their canoe in the center going downstream in that mm-hmm. river of well-being? So yeah, great stuff. Aaron, Aaron, this is, this has been a great conversation. I am, yeah. I'm pumped. Like I'm pumped. I, I'm ready to like, take my kids out of school and go, okay, kids, here's some paper. Here's some crayons. Let's do this. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. That's great. Uh, but yeah. Aaron, thank you so much for being on my show. I greatly appreciate this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me. And I just want to say one more thing Okay. as parents, if you are a parent or in charge of someone and you're in a place of authority, this is not to make us feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Again, that, that pushing away, this conversation was not to make us feel guilty about being parents, but it is about spurring each other on yeah. to learn and grow and to become better adults because mm-hmm. we're all learning. We're all growing. If you listen to podcasts, you love to learn and grow. And so that's what this is for. This is for growth and growth is painful sometimes in growth. We have to hear hard things, but I think we can go and try something new. And I think when we go and try something new, we're going to see great gains. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you a hundred percent, a hundred and one percent. We'll just throw that extra one on there for good measure. Uh, so guys, again, thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stemmon podcast. Hopefully you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like to kind of sponsor uh, this podcast, uh, you can go to my coffee account. That is ko-fi.com slash the Scott Stedman podcast. There you'll be able to donate one time or even be a, a monthly uh, subscriber, which you will get a bunch of perks and some awesome st- stuff there. Go ahead and check it out. And again, any donations go straight to uh, getting guests to come on and bo- and basically the improvement of the podcast. I do not take a dime for myself. It's all for the podcast. So guys, thank you so much. Also, if you want to check out more of Erin, if you've appreciated her wisdom, you can then find her on her website, simpleextravagance.org. Simpleextravagance.org. Uh, we will definitely put a link in the uh, in the notes from the show um, in the description of this podcast episode, so you should be able to find it and easily be able to find her and and check her out. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your uh, week, and I'll be on with another uh, episode in a week. Talk to you guys later. Mm-hmm.